Hey, well, hello, everybody. Hey, I want to welcome all of our locations and everybody joining us online. We're so glad you're here. Make some noise for yourself. You're in the building. You made it to church. You're here. So good to see you. Hey, just to address the elephant in the room, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Daniel, tan much? Like, I'm not Pastor Daniel. If I had had the chance to meet you, my name is Birch, and I serve as the worship pastor here at LifePoint. And uh, it's just an honor to be able to bring the word today. Thank you, Pastor Daniel and Tammy, for, for calling my number and uh, letting me be a part of bringing the word to the house today. Uh, I don't take it for granted. Very grateful. Uh, the word um, that comes from this platform is consistent every week, so I hope to be able to bring you a word today. And I just know that God built this platform through this family, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. So thank you for inviting me and my family to be here. We love you guys so much. Owen, my guy, my guy Owen. Hey, just a little bit about me. Um, I'm married to, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Lauren, for going on 10 years this fall. We got a picture of my family up here. So that's me and my family. Um, that's my wife, Lauren. Um, she is just so blessed to have me. And uh, um, th these are our three boys. Jeremiah is in the middle. He's seven. Zion is on my lap. He's four. And that is Levi. He's two years old on Lauren's lap. And Yes, his face is always that way. <laughs> You'll see in the next picture. Uh, those are our, that's our little tribe, and uh, we just love being a part of this church. And life is not always as clear-cut and picture-perfect as this. It's kind of more like the next picture for us. Um, but it's a joy to raise these boys. We love doing it together and love being a part of this ministry. And, and just grateful for this church. Listen, um, this church is changing our family's life. And I don't know if you serve in Kids Point or student ministry. I just want to encourage you to not grow weary and doing good. Because of the ministry of this church, my family's life is changing from the inside out. My oldest son, Jeremiah, this January placed his faith in Jesus and was baptized. So... Hey, every Kids Point volunteer, every student worker, your, uh, your work is, is being, uh, making a difference all across this place. It's doing something for my family, so I'm grateful for you. And we're grateful to be a part of this ministry for the last eight years of our life. Uh, my, my wife and I are from Miami, Florida, and uh, we just love being in Virginia. Um, I say y'all a bunch now. Um, I say I have a little bit of an accent from being around uh, this place, but love it, love being here, and I'm grateful to preach. So I want to preach today. You guys ready to receive the word today? Amen, amen. Okay, let's start with the word of God. We're going to read from the book of John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screens. Follow along with me. The Bible says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? for it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Verse 7 says, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
You not always have the poor among you, but you will always have me. This passage is about Mary, and if you need a title for the message, we can title it, There's Something About Mary. Some of you guys are too young to understand that reference, and it's okay. Don't Google it. It's not very wholesome of a movie. But there is something about Mary. Come on, why don't we pray together as we dive into God's word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We pray that you bless it. God, would it go forth? Would it transform us by the renewing of our minds? Would we see you in a whole new way? Will we, will we see this worshiper? Will we see Mary and how she gave her best to you, Lord? And will we respond in kind? Thank you for all that you've done for us, for the life that you, you gave for us, the blood you shed. We respond to you in worship. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, life, but everybody said amen. 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 In, in, in John chapter 12, we're, we're witnessing a, a Jesus encounter. And I love uh, these encounters throughout the Gospels where people meet Jesus for the first time or, or one of the multiple times that they meet him. And because, you know, every time someone encounters Jesus, a polarizing moment takes place. You know, you don't just meet Jesus and leave the same. And so people come in contact with Jesus and they meet him. And sometimes Jesus does something that's completely crazy. Okay, like uh, based upon societal and cultural norms. You know, we see this in in John chapter 4. Jesus meets this woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. And and, uh, something about that culture lets us know that in in that day and age, uh, a Jewish man uh, would do everything possible to avoid Samaria. You know, they would walk the long way around that area to avoid Samaria and Samaritans. Also, uh, uh, a rabbi, which, which was the occupation Jesus was operating in, would avoid one-on-one encounters with women all by himself to, you know, for, for obvious reasons. And so Jesus, in this encounter, flies in the face of every societal norm. He, he, he bucks up against the system, proving the fact that Jesus will go anywhere and do just about anything to get to you. You know, some of you are that woman at the well, and Jesus is, is going beyond and going through, and he's doing certain things just to get to your heart. He's coming after you. Jesus does polarizing things. You know, Jesus encounters this lame man at a pool in Jerusalem in John chapter 5 where uh, there, it, was, it was considered that if you dipped in that pool at a certain point in the year, you'd get a healing. And he was lame. So he was laying by that pool and looking to be healed. And, uh, and that, when he encountered that man, he encountered him on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, the Sabbath is very, very strictly observed. You know, we had the opportunity to travel to Israel with Pastor Daniel to kind of have what's called a pilgrimage, to kind of walk the steps where Jesus walked and and see the places where Jesus ministered. And we got to see um, all these different um, incredible archaeological and historical things. The most amazing thing to me was going to one of the hotels in Jerusalem where there are two hotels. uh, There are two elevators inside the hotel. One of them was a pretty normal elevator. And one was called the Sabbath elevator or the Shabbat elevator. And it's kind of like Buddy the Elf went in and pushed every button because that elevator would stop on every floor going up, um, up, up the hotel. The reason being is because for the very orthodox and strict observer of the Sabbath, even selecting the floor in which you're staying in would be considered work. Now, that's a little bit extreme for me, uh, but th- that's the context in which Jesus is, is, is living in currently. So the, 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 the religious officials of the day 
encountered Jesus and they were furious with this man being healed on the Sabbath. Not just because he was healed on the Sabbath, because that healing would be considered work, but because a man laying on a mat, once he was healed, stood up and picked up his mat and walked away. So him carrying his mat would be considered work. Listen, Jesus would do some crazy stuff to get to people, and it's, every time they encounter him, it's, it's, it's polarizing. Jesus also, with his friends, meets this little kid um, on a, in, a, in a countryside, and they steal his lunch to feed 5,000 people. You, you're tracking with me now? See, Jesus does an incredible thing. He, you know, he had his eyes on this kid's lunch, and he used it to do a miracle. You know, one thing I, I, I want you to know is that if God has his eyes on you or God has his eyes on your stuff, live open-handed because God wants you to be part of a bigger story. He wants you to be part of a bigger story. You see, God, God had his eyes on that bread and those loaves, um, that, those fish and those loaves, and he blessed it and he broke it, and he fed 5,000 people. But, you know, he returned it to that child as well, too. See, just like when Jesus had his eyes on that donkey and that, and that colt on, the, on Palm Sunday, he wanted to enter into, the, into Jerusalem, and he wanted to do, make that, that donkey and that colt be part of a bigger story. Just, have, just be careful when God has his eyes on your stuff. God had his eyes on a, on a tomb that would be borrowed, that Jesus, when he would die, would be buried in. But listen, he would borrow it only for three days because he wouldn't need it much longer than that because he would rise again and return to it. Every time that God has his eyes on your stuff, you're about to be part of a bigger story. You're about to be a part of a miracle. So trust God. Trust the process. Live open-handed. God wants to do incredible things with you and in you. Also, when people meet Jesus, they do some pretty crazy things as well, too. You know, that same Samaritan woman encounters Jesus and goes from being a person far from God to being an evangelist. What a shift. What a change. Could you imagine the people who knew her before meeting her now as an evangelist, talking about this man named Jesus? The disciples encounter Jesus, and on their lunch break, can you imagine on a Monday afternoon at your lunch break, Jesus walks into their situation, and they quit their jobs and have a complete career change. That's what people do when they encounter Jesus, the power of Jesus. They do some polarizing and crazy things. But, man, there is just something about Mary that when she encountered Jesus, I, I love this. Her, her response to the presence of Jesus was worship. It was worship. In John 12, we see Jesus, we see Jesus coming into this home and, and Mary being present and while she could be doing a host of other things, she chooses to make his presence special, and she worships him. You see, she puts all of her heart's affection and all of her mind's attention on Jesus in that moment. She, she gives the, the greatest thing she has to offer is her worship in that alabaster box. She gives it to Jesus, and she worships him. She, she realizes, she gets the secret that this is what it's all about, that being in God's presence is about worshiping him. You see, sometimes I, I get really... I get really sad for people who uh, come into church a little bit late and they miss the worship because, you know, I, I got a great voice. You know what I'm saying, guys? I'm just kidding. I'm totally joking. The real reason is because we were meant to worship. You know, we, we were meant for worship. Listen, if it, we were created to worship God. We were created for that. And we preach because Adam sinned. And we want to bring people back into a place, into good standing with God so that they can worship God, right? We, missions exist because worship does not. You see, what, 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 we gonna, what are we going to do when we die from this and, and, and die in this body and, and we live with Jesus in eternity in heaven? We're going to worship. 
So now is the time for us to get really good at it because it's going to be the thing that we are doing for eternity future because that's what we were made to do. You were made to worship. You were made to worship. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Mary got it, and I love that. Her posture, her posture was worship. It was love being expressed to God. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at Mary's worship and what we can learn from that. I believe there's so much to pull out of this. We're going to take four things that we see, see about Mary's worship, and we're going to talk about it just for a second. You guys ready for this? All right. The first thing about Mary's worship is that it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. You know, the, the, that jar of pure nard, also known as an alabaster jar, uh, that, that was probably one of the most significant possessions that Mary had because in that, in that time frame, women didn't own a lot of property. They didn't have a lot of finances. They were typically given something like this that was extremely valuable, and they kept it with them either on their person or in a very safe place at home. It was very valuable to them. It was extremely costly. Uh, the Bible says that it was worth about a year's wages. Now, let's put that into actual context. Because sometimes the Bible just says stuff and we just kind of pass it by. A year's wages. Denari is the term, which is about a day's wages. And it was about 300 denari. So imagine 300 working days. 300 working days uh, wages. Now, if you were to think in just from a minimum wage standpoint, a minimum wage standpoint, that was worth, in our, in our day, about $15,000. $15,000. Mary shows us that worship is not cheap, nor is it common. It's very significant, very special, very, very costly. And Mary brings that to Jesus. See, she, she brings the very best thing that she has. She brings the most, worth th the, the most worthwhile thing she has to the most worthwhile person that she knows. You see, Mary sees Jesus and not just as a common person. You know, Mary, Mary understood that the God-man was walking among her, that Jesus, the King of kings, Christ, the Son of the living God, was sitting in the living room, and I had the opportunity to worship him and honor him. And that's what she did. You know, she didn't do it in a cheap way. Um, she did it in a very, very costly way. She made a sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, when, 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 when the people would want to worship Jesus or worship God or, or bring an, an offering, they would bring a sacrifice of some type of animal. And it was also very costly. It was the firstborn um, of, of that litter, or um, it was a very uh, spotless lamb. And, and so that animal was brought as a sacrifice before God, and it was slaughtered, and, it, and people were able to worship God and, and give an thanks an offering to God that way. Now, thanks be to God, that's not the, the, the culture we live in right now because Jesus was the final atonement. Jesus was that perfect lamb that was slain for us. His blood was poured out, and he was perfect, and he died for us. And now we don't get to just bring an offering to God. We get to be an offering to God. God has called us into something higher. Jesus is calling us to something that's elevated, something that's greater. It's not that we just bring an offering, but we get to be an offering. You see, I, I'm standing on a stage right now, and truthfully, it's more than a stage. It's a, it's a platform of influence. But even beyond that, it's an altar. And altars are made for sacrifices. You see, in your sphere of influence in your life, you stand on a platform that has influence. You've got influence in your home. You've got influence at your job. You've got influence at your, at, at your school. You've got influence at work. You've got influence in your neighborhood. And God is calling you to make that platform upon which you stand on an altar in which you lay yourself down before him. 
that everything, that every breath that you breathe would be a worship, it would be a response. You see, we get to breathe in the goodness of God, and we get to breathe out the praise that he is worthy of. Romans 12:1 says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we should offer our whole selves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto the Lord. That this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalms 150 says for us to praise the Lord. To praise him for his mighty acts, to praise him in the sanctuary, to praise him in Walmart, to praise him in our house, to praise him in school. See, whatever has breath should praise the Lord. Do you have breath? Check yourself real quick. Do you have breath? Then you should praise the Lord. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. I just dared if somebody lift up 10 seconds of praise, if you got breath in your lungs, to the Lord. You are worthy, Lord. You are worthy, God. You are worthy. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy. Let it be a sacrifice. Let it be a sacrifice. It's not cheap. It's not common. See, what Jesus has done for you, God gave, God gave his first and his best. He gave the best that he had to offer. So let us return and respond to him in kind, given the best that we've got. Second thing we see about Mary's worship is that it was public. It was public. See, God is... God is inviting you into a personal relationship with him. But do not be confused. It's not meant to be private. It's not meant to be private. See, God, God is calling you into an intimate, deep, loving relationship with him that's very, very personal. But it is not meant to be kept to yourself. See, Mary could have, could have had this moment of worship with Jesus all by himself. Everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds, however, and Mary saw the moment where she could respond to the goodness of God and the presence of Jesus. So the thing that she did was responsive in worship. That could have been done in the back room. It could have been done when the room cleared, but she didn't want to hide what God had done inside of her. So she made her worship, her personal love relationship with God, a very public thing, a very, very public thing. You see, the thing is, we all too often veil our affection for God in public settings. But we still want the public benefits. We want, we want the benefits. We, we, we want the, the victory and we want the authority. We want the access. But we don't want to have the public identification. Listen, y'all, that's called a side piece. That's called a side piece. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is the first and the last. He is the centerpiece. He is the cornerstone. He wants to be first place. He wants to be center. He wants to be, he is worthy of the praise. He is worthy of our attention, our affection. He is worthy of it all. He is worthy. Jesus calls you into a personal relationship, but it's not supposed to be private. It's not supposed to be on the side. It's supposed to be front and center. That's what he wants to invite you into. Jesus doesn't play second fiddle. He doesn't play mistress. Go public with your worship. Listen, what would it do in your, in your workplace if you went public with your relationship with God? What would happen in your school if you went public with your relationship with God, students? What would happen in your home, woman of God, if you went public in front of your husband that you love Jesus? What would God do in your home and transform your situation if you went public with your worship? Go public. Listen to I understand that in, in situations like this and studies like this, it's difficult and sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking to go really public with your love and affection for Jesus, you know, because you might not have the best singing voice and you do weird stuff with your arms. And 
So when you come into this room, it's the reason why we lower the lights a little bit and we turn the music up a little bit. So, and I, listen, I've got many emails from y'all over the eight, last eight years about how loud the worship is. You're welcome. You're welcome. Because when Jordan's voice is loud in the PA, man, I sound great. In Calvary, that's, that's kind of how you guys sound. Just kidding. But I'm telling you, whenever we do that, so you can kind of be underneath this, uh, this veil of ambiguity, and you can be expressive, and you can push yourself. You can grow yourself. Because listen, I understand that it can be a little bit nerve-wracking, but you're not supposed to be private with your faith. Listen, you, I, I, sometimes we'll say I'm not an expressive person, but you are in the right setting. We just want it to be this setting. And we wanna, I want to encourage you, like, just give it a shot. You know, one of the places that I get to be super, super public with my faith and my relationship with God is in my small group. You know, my wife and I lead a small group at our house with college students, and we love them. And sometimes we'll just sit around the coffee table or sit around the kitchen table or even our backyard when the weather's nice from the fire pit, and we'll worship, and we'll just we'll sing, and we'll just encounter God together. And it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, some of you are, you, you've heard this call many times. Join a small group. Get into a life group. You know, you know exactly when Group Connect is. It's today. And you have an opportunity to get into a small group. Listen, that could be the very place where you practice getting public with your faith, where you practice getting public with your testimony, where you practice getting public with your prayers. That could be the very the place that, that does that for you. So go public with it. Amen? Everybody with me so far still? Awesome. I, I love this moment of worship that we see um, from Mary and John um, chapter 12. But, you know, there's the, the, uh, what I love about the, the New Testament is that we have these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're parallel accounts of Jesus' ministry. And so we see a lot of commonalities between those, two, those, four, chap, those four books. Um, but we also see um, people engaging in some similar stories that are a little bit different, uh, but they're really important to notice. And I want to take us back to Luke chapter 7. Um, I love this because it's a very similar worship experience with a woman who's been transformed and, and, and loved by God, and she worships him. And starting in verse 36, of Luke 7, um, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Just this, this woman's love for Jesus was so real. But the, the key about it is, is that it's, it was honest. Her worship was honest. You know, here, Jesus is in this, in this home, and uh, there's people everywhere, and they're sitting at this table. They're reclining at this table. It's called a triclinium. If you've ever been wondering what those U-shaped tables that you kind of sit at are called, um, it's called a triclinium. And so Jesus is sitting there with religious leaders and disciples and there's people all over the place. And they're um, you're kind of sitting down, kind of leaning, feet behind you, kind of, let me kind of give you a picture. Does that be, does this be helpful? Maybe this is, will be helpful. This is kind of the picture of Jesus. Go ahead, take it in. 
not be a great time for a picture. Um, this, this is kind of the, the, the way in which you would sit at this U-shaped table. And so you'd kind of recline and eat with your hand, and your feet would kind of be behind you, and um, there's people everywhere. And there's, it's U-shaped because people would come in the front center in the middle of that table and do all kinds of stuff, talk, sing, dance. Um, and Jesus is sitting at the table reclining with all these people, and here comes this woman. Everybody knows her. Everybody knows what, she, what her life has been like. And instead of coming front and center, she kind of comes behind Jesus. She comes to his back. And I love that because, you know, you got to be careful that people always want to be front and center in your life. You got you to be mindful that people are always want your face. You need people in your life who got your back, that are praying for you when you don't even know it, that are looking after you, that are praying for your kids, that are friends of your future. You need people who got your back. And this woman comes to Jesus' back. And why does she do that? Because she wants, to, she wants to worship Jesus in this personal way. It's not meant for everybody, but it was meant for Jesus, and it was honest. And it was, an, it was incredible. So here's the picture. She's, she walks in, and she's crying. And everybody knows what's happening, because in that culture, many women, when they wanted to express gratitude to a rabbi or a teacher of the law, they would they would respond to him in this way. So you can imagine this, this woman is just recounting all the things that she used to do and the person she used to be, and then Jesus stepped into her life, so she's just full of tears. You know, I, just, I did that this morning. I was just remembering that 17-year-old kid who was, was just broken. I didn't have a plan for my life, and I remember that moment. I was sitting in my room at my parents' house, and just feeling so empty and feeling so lost. And Jesus saw me in that moment, and he loved me, and he invited me into his family. And whenever you start to recount the goodness of God, it brings you to tears sometimes, y'all. Yeah. And you, know, when you, 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 you can find yourself in a moment of worship, and you're just like, maybe it's gotten stale for you. Maybe you just need to take yourself back to where you used to be. Remember what he, used, what he did for you in, the, in your past, and remember that God's Past, God's past behaviors are indicative of what he's going to do for you in your future. He continues to make a way where there seems to be no way. He continues to forgive you when you feel, un, when you feel like you, can, you don't deserve it. He continues to love you when you feel unlovely. That's what this woman is doing, and she's crying. And tears fall, and, and she wipes his feet, and then she pours perfume, and she wipes his feet. And it's just this beautiful picture of worship that was meant for her and Jesus. The thing about honest worship is that it always takes center stage. When, when, when you have that honest, just pure worship for the Lord, people can't help but notice. People can't help but notice what this woman was doing. So much so that Jesus said in Luke 7 that every time people talk about his story, they would mention this woman. And look what we're doing today, years and 2,000 years later. Because honest worship can't help but be noticed. But the first person is noticed by it's by Jesus. That's the first person it's noticed by. You know, not, not only was her worship just honest, but it began to impact everyone. That's the last thing. It's, it impacts everyone. I love this because the Bible says that when she opened up that, that bottle of perfume, that the aroma just filled the room. The aroma filled the room of, uh, of that perfume, of that worship. You know, like there, there were people 
lining the walls, lining the room, and that, that worship time was just supposed to be for her to Jesus, to say thank you for saving me and thank you for changing me. But as she was worshiping Jesus in that moment, everybody now be, who were at one point innocent bystanders are now are part of the experience of worship. They're, they're, they're filled with that aroma and they're blown away by what she's doing. It, it reminds me of Paul and Silas in prison. You know, you remember the story, Paul and Silas in prison, they're, they're out performing miracles and they're doing ministry and they get arrested and they get thrown in prison and at midnight they get to worshiping, they start singing, Jesus, our redemption. That, that, that song wasn't out then, but something like that. Something like that. They start singing and worshiping Jesus. And right there in that moment, as they were singing hymns and they were worshiping, God begins to shake the foundations of that prison and brings them freedom. The chain fly off of them. The doors fling open. That story is good enough if you stop it right there. But the thing is, every person that was in that prison became a benefactor of their worship. Their chains came off. Their prison doors opened. Listen, when you worship God with a passion and with a purity, your worship begins to transform other people all around you. Listen, it, 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 isn't, it doesn't matter if you feel like you've got a big faith or a, fa or a small faith, but when it's pure... When it's pure, it fills the room. It fills the experience, and it touches people. It touches people. So these people are here, and this room is filled with aroma of perfume and worship. Could you imagine this, this woman? Like, everybody in the room saw what happened. They're, like, all blown away. And uh, then she goes to leave. You know, she, like, puts her hair back up. <laughs> and she leaves that house. And, you know, unbeknownst to everybody, they see her physically. Nothing's really special. Nothing's really different. Nothing's really changed. But when she walks past them, there's this scent on her still. There's this aroma that when people didn't really notice anything about her, about her exterior, when she passed by them, there was still that smell of worship lingering on her. You see, when you worship Jesus, listen, it's, it's about us giving him an offering. But there's this beautiful exchange in times of worship that when you lift up worship and he brings down joy. And when you lift up praise, he rains down peace. And when you give him an offering, then the, the joy of the Lord falls on you. And that is the kind of stuff that lingers. It's, could you imagine she, when she walked out of that room People didn't know where she was, but they knew something was on her. And that's, that's your story today. Some of you have been walking through all kinds of hell and challenges and difficult times. But when people see you, they say, there's something on that person. When they see you, they, they can't explain that the, the, you've been through so much pain and every day is a struggle to even get out of bed. But you wake up and you give God that sacrifice of praise and they, 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 they feel it. They smell it. They see it on you because there's, a, there's an exchange that happens. And I'm, I'm convinced that we worship at the level of how much we've been forgiven or, or at least to our revelation or our awareness of that forgiveness. And I would just encourage you that if you feel like it's just gotten kind of mundane for you, would you just look back and remember all that he has done? 
all that he has done in your history and your past. He hasn't failed you yet. He's been faithful yesterday. He's going to be faithful again in your future. You know, when I talk about that, it reminds me of this woman in our church that I absolutely adore. You know, her name is Miss Jean, and she attends our Fredericksburg location. And her son serves on, on our worship team, her daughter as well, too. And I love them, love having them on our team. They're such good people. But Miss Jean loves to worship. She loves God. You don't love God? She loves God. And I, um, one of the, a couple of weeks ago, I was just asking Daryl, I was like, um, who's her son? I was like, tell me a little bit more about your mom. Tell me about her story. And so he sends me this long test message that uh, he gave me permission, she gave me permission to share. And I'd love to share it with you guys. Um, he said that she was born in Yonkers but moved to the country in Halifax, Virginia at age two. Her father left and never returned. Her and her mother moved to the country to live with grandma, but granny ruled. Anybody got a grandma who runs things? Thank God for those women of God. We're grateful for you. She's very strict, but she loved her. She also worked in the tobacco fields and had a farm, um, at a farm and went to school and church. She always uh, tells me, this is, this is Daryl talking, she always tells me that she praises the way that she does because God's brought her so far. She was made to feel less than by teachers, kids, and family who called her dumb and compared her to her sister. So you, she used to have a stutter, which made things worse. Then she was abused by someone in her family, which made her feel shame, along with the fear and hurt. She didn't believe in herself. While there were, there were signs that she needs to believe in herself more, she has really come a long way. Many who have these type of experiences do not go on to lead normal, productive lives, but it was God's power. Come on, it was God's power that gave her the strength and the courage to carry on, go to school, go to college, meet her husband. Come on, somebody. Who loved her, took care of her, and respected her, even though um, she was hurt. You know, she had a great job, and she's got incredible kids. And this is how he closes. Now she just looks back at the time when she wasn't good enough, where she felt she wasn't good enough or didn't deserve these blessings and sees God's goodness in her kids' lives. She's retired, healthy, kids are in church, and she is completely overjoyed. Completely overjoyed. If you ever felt like it's gotten kind of stale in your worship, just remember what he has done. Because it gives us indication of what he's going to continue to do in your life. You know, when I, um, I got saved um, in uh, this Latin church in Miami, and uh, they kind of taught me all the stuff that I knew about worship at that time. And there was this song that we used to sing. It was a super simple song. I don't, ever, I don't know it was the chorus, um, but it just gave me language to, to be able to express my love, to be able to have that, that love expressed, that worship to God. And it stuck with me all these years. Super simple song. You probably know it. And it just kind of went like, I love you, Lord. 
And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. In what you hear, let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Come on, would you help me sing it today, church? And I love you, Lord. Come on, lift your voice. And I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you Let it be your sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Take joy. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be your sweet. Sound in your ear. Jesus, would I worship, bring you joy? Would it be a sacrifice? Would it be public and on display? Let it be honest, God. And may it touch a life. God, I thank you for your son who gave his all for us. So in response, Lord, we give it all to you, for you are worthy. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you know, maybe you feel like you're, you're asking the question, what do I do now? I want to know this Jesus, and I want to worship him in a deep way, but where do I start? Well, I'm here to tell you, your first step is just to take a step towards Jesus. It's just take one step towards him. and Maybe you're here in this place and it's your first time at church or your first time in a long time. and You've been saying, this, this, is, this is my last shot I'm giving church. This is my last shot I'm giving God. And I just want you to know that, that he's here and he sees you and he loves you. And if you're here in this place today, and if I'm talking to you right now, I just want to encourage you just a second to slip up a hand so that I know who I'm talking to, I know who I'm praying for. I'd like to pray with you. And it's not the prayer that saves, but it just help you give language so that you can do business with God. And if that's you today, on account of three, I want you to slip up a hand. If you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior in this place, every location, on the count of three, slip up your hand. One, two, three. 
Come on, slip up your hands all across this place. I see you. I see you. God bless you. I see your hands. Our campus pastors are on the platform at every location. We see you. More importantly, God sees you. Amen. You can put that hand down. I want to pray with you. And like I said, this, this prayer isn't magic. It says, if you mean it from your heart to God's heart, and you declare, the Bible tells us if we just confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Not hope so, not maybe so. You will be saved. You know that today heaven is your home. And so we don't pray alone here at this church. So come on, everybody with one voice, pray along with those people who raised their hand. Say, Jesus. Come on, say out loud, Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you are the Savior. I thank you that you died on the cross for me, that you shed your blood for me, and that you rose from the grave for me. I accept your free gift of salvation, and I invite you into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I give you my life, and I pray that you give me a brand new start. Pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Come on, can we make noise? Let's put our hands together for those who pray that today. Come on, show them you love them, church. Amen.